everybody. This is Chess Griffin, and welcome back to Linux Reality. This is episode uh, 61. In this episode, we are going to discuss email servers. Uh, actually, sort of a sort of an easy home email. Uh, this is not going to be a full fledged, you know, do everything under the sun email server. But I, this is something that I use, and I thought it would be helpful and kind of fun to talk about. Just you know, just in case other folks would like to try it out. And I also think that this will hopefully give you some ideas of, of, you know, just some of the concepts and some of the other things you can do with email. You know, if you do want to scale it up or scale it back, there's a lot of different things you can do. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. First, though, I had one little announcement, and that is that the uh, second uh, or, or volume two of the sort of archive CD, I've got that available now. Uh, that is for episodes well, the first one was for episodes 1 through 26, so this is episodes 27 through 47, and that also includes, there's a 27.5 episode, and then there were, there were those two special episodes, including the one on Slackware. That's about all I could fit on the CD. And then, and as with last time, I've got some, some stuff on the CD, there's like an, you know, there's an index, there's a couple HTML files, there's all the show notes, and I've got an extra folder with just some additional documentation and PDFs and other things that... I've gotten uh, permission to include. So uh, that is now available. That's just like with the other CD. That's also $15. You can get them both for $25 if you want on either two CDs or one DVD. So, um, you know, if you're interested and there's nothing that's that's on here that you can't get yourself by just downloading and making your own CD. So it's just a little extra something I, I offer for people to you know support the show if they want to get the CD to create an archive. Uh, it's an easy way to do it. So just uh, you'll see information about that on the Linux Reality homepage. You basically, you just send me an email, linuxreality at gmail.com, and just kind of tell me what you want, and, and I'll get a PayPal invoice to you, and we'll just take it from there. So thanks very much. And with that, let's talk about email servers. Okay, well, email servers can be an incredibly complex topic. Uh, because there's a lot of pieces to an email server. And uh, it can be very complicated and very difficult to maintain, you know, if people want to run a full-fledged email server. And I'm not suggesting that folks do that. I have done that, uh, and it was fun. It was interesting. It was a great learning experience, but, you know, it's not something I really want to do anymore because it is kind of a pain uh, to maintain and to keep secure. Because email servers are very vulnerable, obviously, to spam and viruses and, and um, you know, people trying to spoof email addresses and, and use your email as a relay. And so, you know, it can be, you know, it can be kind of tricky to maintain. And for many people at home, it's probably overkill. Uh, you know, especially nowadays, a lot of people use Gmail or other web-based email. Uh, so this is, this is sort of an extra. This is sort of a fun little project if you want to do. Uh, I really enjoy having my own uh, local IMAP server, and again, I'll talk about that, the, the, you know, the details of that here in a second. But, but before I get to the details, let me just kind of try to explain some of, the, some of the big picture stuff here and the way an email server works. Now, I'm not an experienced email administrator or anything like that, so I, I, you know, I think I understand the way these pieces pretty much fit together. But um, obviously, if you want to have more technical information, there's a lot of stuff on the web. And I'll put some links to some really good guides on, on all this stuff, but basically there, uh, an email, sort of the email stack, if you will, you know, from start to finish, uh, there's a lot of different pieces involved. Uh, obviously at, you know, from a user standpoint, the very first thing you encounter is the email client. 
It's actually called a mail user agent. But those are email clients like Thunderbird or Evolution or Outlook in the case of Windows. Those are just the clients that you use to access the email. Now, on the server side, uh, the, the first piece to consider is whether or not to use a mail transport agent, an MTA. And some examples of those are SendMail, uh, PostFix, uh, there's Exim, and there's a few others. But what, a, but what an MTA does is that actually does the sending and receiving of email. Uh, it's that, that you know, lets you actually create a server that you would point you know, an MX record to, which is part of the DNS record for, for a domain. And that will accept email uh, for recipients, and it will send email for authorized users or authorized domains. Uh, so that's the MTA. SendMail is probably the oldest or one of the oldest and, and most well-known, but it's, it's also had some security issues in the past. So a lot of people nowadays use PostFix. That PostFix is what I have used in the past when I've run a full-fledged email server. But that's not something we're going to get into in this episode. We're not going to talk about configuring an MTA just because that's probably the most difficult thing to configure. And it's the most, that's obviously, that's the most vulnerable point, point because that is when your server is actually acting as a full-fledged email server. It's actually sending and receiving. And that's not what we're going to be doing here. Uh, then you can add the next piece, this is the third piece, is a POP slash IMAP server. This is a server that makes the mail available to read remotely uh, through using POP or POP3 or IMAP. And some examples are Dovecot. That's an excellent one. That's the one I like to use. And that's the one I'll be talking about here. There's Courier IMAP. Uh, there's uh, UW-IMAP, University of Washington. And there's lots of others. Those are just some of the examples. Uh, so that what that does is the, the POP slash IMAP server sort of sits on top of the MTA and makes the mail available to read. It's not necessary, really, if you're just could read email on a local machine to have an, to have a POP slash IMAP server always because you because of the way you can set up the actual email directories but uh, you really typically want to have a POP slash IMAP server to be able to read email with a mail user agent with a client so those are the those are three pieces so far that's a mail user agent which is also called a you know email client there's the MTA the mail transport agent which is like send mail or postfix and then there's the POP slash IMAP server, like Dovecot or Courier. The next piece is a mail retrieval uh, piece of software. And FetchMail is probably the most well-known, although I use GetMail. GetMail is a more recent version. I think it's, I think it's Python-based. Um, it's very easy to configure, very simple to understand in terms of the configuration file. Post, uh, I mean, FetchMail is not bad. Um, but uh, those, those, what those do is those... Fetch mail. <laughs> That's why fetch mail is called fetch mail. It basically gets your email. And so one thing you could do, for example, let's say you didn't want to do any of this other stuff. You could just install a mail retrieval program like fetch mail and put in your settings and just have it download your email onto your local machine. And then you can just access it directly. Uh, it won't do any sending or receiving or, or access remotely or anything. It just simply gets the mail. It just fetches the mail for you. So FetchMail and GetMail are two examples. Then there's uh, a mail filtering program. And what that does is, this is what, one nice thing about having your own email server, is you can have server-side 
filtering. You know, in your in your clients, like you know Thunderbird or whatever, you can set up filters such that you can say, okay, when an email comes in from my friend Joe, put it in this sub this subfolder, you know, called Joe. You know, it's just a way to filter all your email. That's a client side filtering program, and the the only issue with that is you've obviously got to set up identical filters on every single email client you use. Well, with uh, a, a server-side mail filter program, and two examples are ProcMail and MailDrop, what they will do is they will filter the email on the server and put it, go ahead and put it into whatever subdirectories you want. So you only have to configure it once. So that's one advantage to having a mail filter. Then you can also add uh, remote webmail uh, capabilities. One example, the one I've used the most, is called Squirrel Mail. And it's, you know, it's basically gives you a web-based GUI to access your email, which is pretty handy. So you can have sort of like a Gmail or Yahoo Mail-like web interface for your local email if you want that. Then uh, you can also add in, obviously, spam prevention and spam assassin is one. Uh, that's one I've used, as well as antivirus, and ClamAV is one that I've used. There's much more you can do with spam prevention, like there's stuff you can that's called gray listing, and um, uh, OpenBSD has something called SpamD, which is basically a what it does is it, it holds mail and it makes the sender resend uh, or something. Um, or and, and as you know, basically the thinking is that spammers are not going to resend spam. That, that's going to be all they want to do is just blast out as many emails as they can. But legitimate email from real users, from friends of yours. Well, their server will try to resend the email. So there's a lot of things you can do with all that. And again, I'm not going to get into all of that either because that's when you're running a full-fledged email server you know, that does all the sending and receiving. You're going to want to set up Spam Assassin and Clam AV and the whole nine yards to do all of that. Uh, but what I'm going to talk about in this episode is how to set up a local IMAP server. And, the, and this is the way it works. It's in a big picture sense. This is pretty cool, I think. You basically use something like Dovecot as a way to aggregate all your email. Let's say you've got three email accounts. You've got an IMAP account somewhere. You've got a Gmail account, and you've got a Yahoo account, okay? Well, you could obviously uh, check all of those individually, uh, either through the web-based service or with your email client. Some of those services like Gmail and Yahoo can also offer you know, pop access, POP3 access, so you can download your email into your client directly from Gmail or Yahoo. Uh, but the problem there is that obviously with POP3, you can only, you know, the thing I don't like about POP3 is that you only have basically one copy of it. You know, IMAP is nice because you can have sort of a server-side folder with all your email that you can then connect to from any uh, mail client anywhere, and you're going to see the same folders. You don't have to re-download everything. It's all done on the server. So that's what IMAP does. POP3 is basically, you know, one email, one account that you can you can keep on the server or you can download locally or whatever, but it doesn't synchronize, if you will. Um, so what it, what's the, 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 the fun thing about having a local IMAP email server, some of the advantages are you can obviously consolidate all your email into one place. Um, you can retain copies of your email on your own machine or on your own server for backup purposes and that kind of thing. And you can also sort of convert POP accounts into IMAP accounts. And that's what I've done. I've got a local email, local IMAP server that's got several accounts, including some that are already IMAP accounts and some that are POP accounts, like my Gmail accounts. Um, and when I have those downloaded into my local IMAP, 
what what I then do is from my from my email clients, whether at home or away, is I config I configure my email clients to check my local IMAP server, and that's where all my email is aggregated. Uh, and then I can and then what you do is you you still use your email company account to send. Um, my email server doesn't do any sending; it only retrieves and it makes available through IMAP the ability to read the email. But to send, I use, like I have an IMAP account for my domain I, that's done through a web host. I use their SMTP server. For my Gmail accounts, I use the Gmail SMTP server. So my, my email client, I can set up with different SMTP servers for different accounts. And I so I check my email on my, my own machine, but I send using Gmail's servers, let's say, as an example. Okay, but I'll talk about some of those details here in a second. Um, the, the, the first thing you need to do if you're going to set up a local IMAP mail server, and that again, that's basically what we're going to be talking about for this episode, is you first got to decide how you're going to store your mail. And there's basically two ways. There's inbox format and there's maildir format. That's M-A-I-L-D-I-R, mail directory, let's say, but it's maildir. Inbox format, I think, is sort of an older format, and it basically stores all the email in one file, literally one single file. And it just keeps you know, appending new emails to the end of the file. Mailder is, a, I think, a newer format where it creates directories, and it stores your emails individually as individual messages in different directories. And I like to use the Mailder format. Um, rather than inbox. I haven't really ever used inbox, actually. Uh, I've always used mailder. So the first thing you need to decide is which one to use. And for purposes of this episode, I'm going to go with the mailder system. And if you want to find out more about the details of the differences, you can just kind of read about that. But I think most people nowadays seem to use mailder. That seems to be very common. So that's what I like to use. Uh, what mailder needs is it needs three subdirectories, one called cur c u r and i think that stands for current one called new n e w and one called temp t m p so uh, the very first step in creating your local imap server is to create a directory in your home directory called mailder m a i l d i r and in that create these three subdirectories c u r for current cur new and temp t m p so once you've got those three directories set up, then the next step that I've done is I've set up GetMail as a as a mail fetching program. So this will fetch emails for all my different accounts. Now, I have to stop right here because one thing I was trying to do with my different accounts is I was trying to figure out how to set it up so I could have all accounts, all of my three email accounts set up under one user on my machine. And I couldn't really figure out a good way to do that because the problem is you only have one mail directory and it, you have one new subfolder, let's say, or one current subfolder. And so if I was to receive an email from my Gmail account and then receive another email from my Yahoo account, that would all be dumped into one same folder. They wouldn't be separated. Now I can do the proc mail, the mail filtering to keep them separated, but I couldn't figure out a way to then do that uh, in order to be able to send. In other words, let's say I set up Thunderbird to check my local IMAP account. And if I just had one IMAP account on my local machine called Chess, let's say, 
that collected email from multiple email accounts, Yahoo, Gmail, whatever, they would all be in the inbox, okay? And so I read an email that comes from my Gmail account, and then I read another email from my Yahoo account, unless I want to reply from my Yahoo account. Well, within my mail client, within Thunderbird, I can only set up one SMTP server per email account. I can have as many email accounts as I want, and I can have as many SMTP servers as I want, one for each email account, but I can't have multiple SMTP accounts for one email. At least I couldn't figure out how to do that. So what I did was on my machine, and I know this is what other people have done, is I have set up separate users on my Linux machine, one for each email account. So my main regular user checks the mail for my, my own domain. I have another Linux account on my machine for my Gmail account, and I have a third Linux account for my Yahoo account. All right. And, um, and that way each user on my Linux machine has their own mailder account in which just the email for that email account is collected. So I have, you know, a user called chess that collects my domain email. I have a user called Gmail, let's say that collects my Gmail account. And I have a user called Yahoo that collects my Yahoo account. So I have three separate users on my machine with three separate mailders, one for each email account. I hope that makes sense. So what, once I've done that, then I set up GetMail. And GetMail is very easy to configure. Uh, you just search for GetMail in, uh, you know, in your distributions repositories. In Debian, you just apt-get install GetMail, very easy. And um, then once it's installed, then what you do is you got to create a local directory in your home directory that's going to hold your getmail configuration file. So I made a hidden directory called .getmail. This is in my own home users account. Uh, I mean my own users home directory. Okay? And then in that directory I make a file called getmailrc or getmail.com for whatever you want to call it. And in this file it's very easy. It's in terms of setting it up. If I want to set up a POP, this is, this is the program that's going to fetch my email, my email from Gmail, let's say. So I would do, um, in the getmail RC configuration file, I have two blocks, one for retriever and one for the destination. It's very simple. In the retriever section, you're going to enter in the type of email account, whether it's POP. And I think for Gmail, because they use SSL connections, it's it's slightly different. You've got, but you basically add in the type of email account, the server. So I think it's like s, or I think it's mail.gmail.com or something. Uh, your Gmail username and your Gmail password, and then in the destination block, you type, you enter in type equals mailder, and then the next line is path equals, and I have home slash mailder, and so I'm telling GetMail that. Okay, when, you, when you're fetching the Gmail email, put it in this user's mailder directory. And I'll, again, I'll put links on how to, on how to uh, configure this. It's very easy. There's an excellent wiki entry on the Gen2 wiki on how to do this that I'll link to as well. But the GetMail configuration file is very simple to set up. You have, again, two blocks in the configuration file, one block for the email account and one block for the destination. And uh, once I've got that set up, then I can just run GetMail with a, I think there's a switch. You can add a, you know, GetMail, um, I think it's, let's see here, 
I think you do get mail dash D or no get mail dash dash RC file. And then I enter the name of my configuration file for get mail and it will just fetch the email. Now, if you want to automate this, you just make it as a very simple cron job. It's very easy to do. You just, and if you figure, you know, go back and listen to the cron episode, if you haven't listened to that yet on how to set it up, but it can be a one line cron job that just runs get mail every X number of seconds. And uh, that's what I've got. And so I've done this. I've set up a separate get mail configuration file for each of my Linux users. Uh, and these Linux users correspond. I have one per email account. So one for Gmail, one for Yahoo, you know, and all that. And so I have separate get mails, one for each user and separate cron jobs, one for each user. And it works perfectly. It just gets all the mail and downloads it into the mail directory for each user, for each of my accounts. Now, you could stop right there. That's just a, a fetch email. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people just like to install fetch mail or get mail as a way to just download their email into their local mail directory. And then, um, you know, in your email client, you can just point your email client to your local mail directory in order to read your email. And then, again, use your SMTP server's settings to send. You're not using your own machine to send. You're going to piggyback onto Gmail's SMTP server or whatever, your ISP, let's say, to send. And you can configure all of that in your email client, like Thunderbird. And so a lot of people just stop right there. They just like to have a local cop. They just like to have all their email downloaded locally that they can access locally and send using their ISPs or Gmail's SMTP server. But the next step, the nice step, which is what I've done, is to install an IMAP server because then I can check this email from anywhere I am using just, you know, any old email client. And so I use Dovecot. And Dovecot is a very easy, very, very easy IMAP server It's to set up. And, and, um, and again, one advantage of doing it this way is, you know, with the Gmail and the Yahoo, since they, they, Gmail does not offer IMAP service. They only offer POP3, which means you've got to download your Gmail into, you know, one email client like Thunderbird. And uh, so if, you, if you've got your Gmail set up that way, let's say you're, you're at home and you have Thunderbird set up to download all your Gmail email, then if you want to do the same thing at the office, it's hard because all of the, you know, POP3 only allows you to download once, in other words. So by using GetMail to download my Gmail into my local IMAP and using my local IMAP server to access the email, I've essentially converted POP3 into IMAP. And it works really cool. It works really well. Uh, so to install Dovecot, you just obviously install that package, Dovecot, uh, from, from your distribution. And the configuration file is slash Etsy slash Dovecot.conf, Dovecot.conf. And it's, I would obviously back up this file before you start making any changes. But it's this very simple and very well-commented file to set up. Dovecot is really super easy. Uh, a couple lines you want to look for is you'll see a line in there in dovecot.com that says mail underscore location equals, and you want to put mailder colon and then home, you know, tilde slash mailder or whatever mail, whatever you call mailder. Some people just call it mailder. Some people have it hidden. So it's dot mailder, but whatever your, um, wherever your mailder directory is located, you need to put that line in dovecot.conf under mail underscore location. Then uh, to enable IMAP, you'll see a line that says protocols, and you can insert 
however many protocols you want, including POP3. I mean, Dovecot can be a, a POP3 server, but I'm not going to use POP3. I'm only going to use IMAP. And so what I like to use is IMAP, which is the unencrypted IMAP, and I like to use IMAP-S, uh, which is the SSL encrypted version of IMAP when I access remotely. In other words, when I'm on my local machine at home, I don't want to have to deal with, I mean, it's just, you know, when you, when, you know, when you connect to one of those SSL enabled IMAP servers, you get like the certificate thing and you got to click okay or whatever. It's very picky, but I just, that kind of bugs me. And uh, so when I'm at home, when I'm just accessing it remotely, I don't need to worry about any encryption or whatever. So I just, I use regular IMAP, but I also have IMAP S set up the SSL version for when I access remotely. Cause I do want to have that, that layer of security. So under protocols, this is in dovecot.conf, I have IMAP space IMAP S. Uh, that's, again, for the secure version. Uh, then you'll see a line about um, whether or not to turn off the plain text authorization. Again, if you're going to use IMAP S, you want to uncomment that line and change it to yes, meaning I do want to... Um, I do not want plain text, uh, in other words, to force the SSL encryption. And then you'll see three lines that are about SSL, like SSL disable, you want to make that no, SSL cert file, and you'll need to put the path to the cert file. And on Debian-based distributions, it's slash Etsy, slash SSL, slash Dovecot, slash, and then there's two different ones. There's the server and um, the, the permanent, I think, certificate, and then the key. And again, in this Gen 2 wiki entry, you'll see the explanation right there. And you'll need to look for those files on your uh, installation, but usually it's slash Etsy slash SSL slash Dovecot. You'll see, a, you'll see one file called server.pem, that's the certificate, and then you'll see server.key, and that's the key. Uh, so you'll want to put both of those paths in the dovecot.conf file. And that's it. That's all you got to do in Dovecot. And then you just restart it on Debian. It's slash Etsy slash init period D slash Dovecot start or restart. And um, then you're, you're good to go. So then what you do is on your email client, like Thunderbird, we set up a new account. And in, you know, in the settings for the server settings, uh, you, know, you want to select IMAP, of course, as the type of email. Uh, and then you can just put localhost if you're just accessing it on your local machine. Now I have my IMAP server on a different machine. So I just put the name of my different machine or the IP address, my local IP of my other email server. It's actually running on my little NSLU2, my, that little Linksys slug I was talking about last week with the DNS server. This is also running my IMAP server. So that machine's name is, is, uh, you know, um, Linksys, let's say it's really not, but let's say it's Linksys. So I would put under server name, I just put Linksys because my DNS server knows, or my machine knows that that um, that machine has, you know, it can figure out the IP from the machine name. So I just put either the IP address of my mail server, my local mail server, or the name. And uh, you can also change the ports if you want. I should have mentioned this a second ago. In the dovecot.com file, you'll see a section where you could change the ports that IMAP and IMAPS run on. I think normal IMAP is port 143, and IMAPS, the SSL version, I believe is port 993. So I have changed both of those ports to be high number ports. Because obviously, if you're going to connect to your IMAP server from the outside, you're going to have to do the port forwarding, obviously, for your router, and open up a, a, you know, your, your firewall. 
So I don't want to have regular IMAP ports open because those those do get scanned, you know. So I've got, you know, for example, let's I'm making this up, but let's say I have my regular IMAP um, at 31,143, and I have my SSL IMAP at 31,993. So I just tacked on 31,000 in front of 143 and 993 in the ports section of the dovecot.com file. That's optional if you want to set up different ports. So obviously then in your email client, you would put the correct port number if you've changed it in Thunderbird, let's say. So that's what I have in my Thunderbird. In fact, let me open it up right now while I'm in fact typing this and I can explain what I've done here. Um, okay, I've got, I'm looking at one account for that I've got on my local server and under server settings, under server name, I've got the name of my Linksys box. Um, so Linksys.localdomain, let's say. That's the server name. And I, in port, I've added my unique port, like 31,143. And under username, I put my username for whichever account I'm going to access first. So I've got chess, let's say. And then under, because I'm using non-secure IMAP locally, I'm just going to use regular IMAP. I've got under secure connections, none, you know, or never. I'm not going to use SSL for when I access it remotely. And then I also set up an SMTP account to associate with this, with this email account that uses my ISP's SMTP settings. Or when you're doing a Gmail account, you use Gmail's SMTP settings. And see, that's, again, the key because you're going to basically leverage your either your ISP's uh, SMTP settings for sending, and you're also going to leverage them to do all the spam and antivirus scanning. That's the other nifty thing about setting up a local IMAP server. I'm not going to worry about spam assassin or clam AV. I mean, I could, I could add that if I wanted to, but when I download Gmail email, for example, I know Gmail has already, you know, Google has already scanned it for viruses and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm just going to let them do that hard part and I'm just downloading whatever's left over. And occasionally a spam message gets through because as I'm sure you know, if you have Gmail, occasionally a spam message will get through, but they're pretty good about catching most spam. So anything that ends up tagged as spam is not downloaded, just the stuff in my inbox. And so I do this same thing in Thunderbird for each of my email accounts. Because as I said a few minutes ago, the way I've got it configured is on my Linux machine, on my server that is, I have, I have different users, one for each email account that I'm going to use. So I've got one for my ISP email, I've got one for my Gmail, and one for my Yahoo, let's say. I've actually got a few more than that. But, um, and so I have separate users, and so in Thunderbird, I've got to set up separate accounts, one for each user and one for each email account that I access locally. Uh, and it works perfectly. And this is just so cool because basically what I've done is I've got get mail which is fetching the email. It's downloading the email for all my email accounts, one for each user, which corresponds to each email account. And then I use Dovecot to act as a local IMAP server that I access locally using just regular IMAP on port 143, uh, or if I change it to whatever port I change it to. And I also have IMAPS, which is the SSL version of IMAP, the secure version of IMAP, for when I access my IMAP server remotely. So on my work machine, I have Thunderbird installed and I have the same settings there and I can, I can instantly connect and access all of my email from anywhere I want. And again, the nice, the other nice thing about having your local IMAP server is if you want, you can add in proc mail, uh, 
to do server-side filtering or mail drop if you want something like that and uh, you can you know you can save all your email you can filter it if you want if you're using GPG this is an easy way to add GPG to say Gmail that's what I've done um, you know I've added my Gmail accounts to my GPG key so uh, you know if you're accessing Google Mail from the web interface there's no way to add GPG uh, but it with if you're going to do it this way you can because i just have i just you know um have my gpg keys and uh i in thunderbird i have it set up to use gpg for all my email accounts and it works perfectly so there's a lot of advantages to setting it up this way even though you know you could certainly set up uh, gmail as pop directly into thunderbird without going this route the only difficulty then is of course you've got it just you know it's just a one time thing uh, because POP3 is just can be downloaded once. You can keep it on the server, obviously, with POP3, but then you get conflict. You know, I've run into conflicts where you've got, you know, um, email folders that are not synchronized and they don't have the same. If you send from one, it's not going to be available on the other. And, you know, POP3 is, has got issues like that. But when you've got a local IMAP server and you're using Fetchmail or GetMail to download your email, you're essentially turning POP3 accounts into IMAP accounts, and, and it's very cool. Works great. A lot of fun, and um, hope I kind of you know rambled about that. Hopefully that made sense. I'll put some good links. I know this is kind of confusing, and there's you know a lot of different ways of doing this kind of thing. The way I've done it is certainly not the only way. And there's a lot of things you could add. You know, if you want to set up an SMTP server using Postfix, you can. Um, I have not done that, and so that's why I didn't really get into it. But, um, you know, and I have some pe- I know some people that just use Fetchmail, and they don't worry about the local IMAP, which is kind of going the other way. So I think, you know, I think doing it this way is a lot of fun, and it works really well, and it's pretty cool. So hope you enjoyed that. And now it's time for some listener feedback. Hi, Jess. This is Doug over in San Francisco. I just wanted to say hi. Uh, love your show. I'm on episode 28. And um, I, I wanted to maybe leave a suggestion for a possible podcast. I would love to know what to do when I get a bug because there's always the bug report occasionally will come up. And um, I really don't know what to do. I know you can get um, of the large in-depth one or you can go with a small one. But what do these files generate, and um, and how can I contribute back to the Linux community by by um, posting it on the forums? I really am kind of clueless, and so those bugs end up just kind of getting uh, deleted, I guess. Um, well, not deleted, but just um, unappreciated. Appreciated? Well, anyway, uh, I thought I would call in, but you know that I think your show is great, um, and I love the pseudo Nautilus command. I use that so often now. That was in, like, episode 26. Um, oh, and if you could, uh, I wanted to leave a listener tip. If you um, have an iPod, you can definitely use it as, like, a data briefcase. You just put the files into an iPod. It doesn't hurt its ability to play music at all. And I use that because I don't have Internet at home sometimes. With the Linux system, sometimes uh, um, it may or may not work on occasion. And um, that's how I back up the, or get the information that I need and, and transfer it back over to home where I can where I can go back to the lab and, and uh, fix what's wrong. Um, 
Anyway, uh, love your show. I will be actually in Seattle on May 18th for a big rugby tournament. Uh, if you Google Magnitude Rugby, there should be links to the, the tournament going on that weekend in May. Anyway, like, uh, like it's been said before, keep up the great work. We love you. Bye. Well, thanks, Doug. That's awfully nice of you. Um, and good luck with the, uh, with the rugby tournament. That sounds very cool. Um, I've never, I, you know, I've never been to Seattle. I've really not spent much time in the Pacific Northwest. I did go to, um, uh, Eugene, Oregon one time. This was gosh, over 10 years ago. And, uh, I loved it up there, but I never made it as far North as uh, Seattle. Uh, but thank you for the audio comment. That's great. I love getting the audio comments and questions about your question about the bug reports. Uh, yeah, it's a, that's a good question. And, there's no one easy answer, unfortunately, because, you know, it really depends on where the bug is or, or you know, how you're getting it. Um, but, you know, in a big picture sense, what you, you know, if you wanted to, uh, depending on, you know, what's, what's, um, what's creating the bug or, or you know, what, what program you're using, you generally want to get that back to the developers. So if you're using an application and the bug, you know, and the application crashes and, this also depends on what desktop environment you use. I know in KDE they have some kind of you know bug handler program that pops up, and I think GNOME is the same way. But it, you know sometimes what you'll do is you'll 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 have a way to save a text file, which is just an output of you know um, sort of the error messages, if you will, more or less. Uh, and, but then what you want to do is you want to try to report that back to the the maintainers of the application if it's an application that crashed let's say for example you're using gnome and let's say you're running the rhythmbox program uh and you know which is a music jukebox type application and let's say it crashes and the the gnome bug buddy thing comes up which is a which is that's the little program that handles bug crashes and it gives you an option to save a text file with the output of the bug report well what would be great is if you could save that text file and then Go to the Rhythmbox website, you know, just search for the for, for the project page for Rhythmbox and just search in there and, and they will each project has their own way of submitting bug reports. Some projects will use like uh, some kind of a database, a web based front end uh, where you can create a user account and log in and, and post a bug report. Sometimes they have mailing lists that the developers hang out on that they want you to use there, or maybe they have forms. Uh, something so it just kind of depends, you know, on on the project itself. If it's a bigger bug that deals with GNOME or KDE, they also have their own ways to post bug reports. So you would go to gnome.org or kde.org and and see where you need to post their bug reports. Or if it's a bug with your distribution, like let's say you've installed Ubuntu and it doesn't boot, um, well then you want to go to Ubuntu's um, webpage and they have their own uh, bug database reporting thing. I think it's called Launchpad where you can create an account and log in and post your bug reports there into Launchpad. Uh, again, it just kind of depends on the distribution and uh, or the program, depending on what it is that crashed. I really applaud your uh, desire to report the bug, though. Uh, a lot of people, and myself included, uh, there's many times I've had bug reports where I have not reported it. In fact, I'd, I'd say probably most of the time, and that's probably the, the way it is with most people, because it's a little bit of a hassle and it takes some effort to post a bug report. But I will say that the times I have posted bug reports, almost every time it gets acted on, so, you know, eventually. I posted a bug in Arch Linux like a year and a half ago in their bug reporting thing, their their web-based thing, and it 
just got fixed like in the last couple of days. I got an email response back. It was saying it had been fixed and that the bug report was closed. So, you know, it happens. And I've reported bugs to Debian. I've reported bugs to uh, FreeBSD, um, Slackware. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember some others. Uh, Ubuntu, I've, re- I've posted a couple bug reports in Launchpad. And, you know, I don't do it all the time. Um, and I probably should do it more than that. But it, it has helped. So, I again, I applaud your desire to, to report those bugs because that's how things get fixed. And in the open source community, and, you know, it may take time. Sometimes it's a lot slower than you want. But that's the key difference between open source and proprietary software is you can track the progress. Because of the transparency, you can see that such and such a distribution is trying to act on your bug report or they're ignoring it. And if if they ignore it, and if you don't like that, you can move to another distribution. I mean, it's it's a it's very empowering. But I have seen my bug reports get fixed, and it has helped. And so, in the open source community, bug reports really really help. You know, in the the limited experience I've had talking to developers, they say one of the best things that non developers can do to contribute to projects, whether it's a piece of software or a distribution, is to report bugs. I mean, that really is one of the best things that people can do. So thank you very much, Doug, for that, um, for that, uh, audio comment. And here is an email, uh, from, let's see, gosh, I, I, I had this written down and now I don't have the name, unfortunately, but I'll read it anyway. It says, just wanted to send a thank you for all your work on the podcast. I've always wanted to play around with Linux, but I've never had the time to go through the documentation on learning the OS. I am now a new Linux user. Thanks to you. And I'm finally playing around with Debian. I'm still listening to the podcast, and I started from the beginning. I'm on show 15 and hope to be caught up with the latest shows in the next couple of weeks. Thanks again for all your help with getting me on the Linux bandwagon. I'm truly frustrated with Vista and needed to make a change. So thank you very much, Mr. Unknown Email Sender. <laughs> and that's my fault because I forgot to copy your name down. Here's an email from Ken. Ken says, Chess, last year myself and a friend of mine distributed 60 Ubuntu Ship It CDs to fellow employees. We produced a simple website and pamphlet and left the CDs on the table in the, in the company's canteen. The CDs were gone within minutes, and we were left burning CDs for months afterwards. Following on from that success, I've requested 200 Kubuntu 7.04 CDs. One of the biggest issues was that it was great to have the CDs, but they didn't know what to do next. If the shipment is approved, I'd like your permission to include DVDs of your podcast in MP3 format as a sort of audio tutorial to help them get started. If any of your listeners consider doing this, be sure to get permission from the restaurant manager, your manager, and HR first. I found this wasn't an issue once I'd handed them out a few CDs. Regards, Ken. And I responded to Ken by email, but I just wanted to, I always like to bring this up because I get this kind of question from time to time. Yes, uh, I, I really appreciate the email and I, you know, I, I it's nice for people to, to ask first, uh, but I've never said no. Uh, so, you know, just let me know if you want to use the CDs or the, uh, or the audio files and you certainly can. Not a problem. No charge, nothing like that, of course. And just feel free to do it, whatever you please. So thank you very much, Ken. And the last email here I'll read is from Natalie. And she sent me a very long email. <laughs> but So I've just kind of cut through, uh, and I've got some of it here, but I just wanted to read it. Uh, Natalie says, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to put together such an excellent podcast. This is exactly what I needed. We currently live far from any lugs, and your podcast certainly makes up for that. I've been exposed to computers on a pretty personal basis for the last 30 years. Your show reminds me of all the 6502 user group meetings my dad took me to when I was a kid. 
Being a kid and a girl, I, it, I was a novelty to the members of the group. Once they realized I was actually interested, a lot of them would take the time to sit with me and explain things that had gone over my head during the main discussion. For me, your podcast is exactly like that. Clear and patient explanations with an effort to make sure that potentially scary concepts don't chase away the newbies. I must say I really appreciate the way you're handling the command line information. Even though I spent years saying Windows is just a cheesy way to insulate users from the DOS prompt, I must admit I've been a little nervous about plunging into command line computing again. DOS is many years ago, and I have spent the intervening time having to live in the land of GUI interfaces at my jobs with little time for tinkering. All your explanations of command line usage sound just like the things I used to do in DOS, and I am anxious to plunge back into command line computing. And that's from Natalie. A very nice email, Natalie, and I'm really glad that you sent me the email. And it's, I love um, hearing from women, to be honest with you, because there are so few women in Linux, unfortunately. Um, and I'd love to see more. I, one thing I told her was that, um, I mean, Linux is for everybody. And it's a, it's a worldwide phenomenon. And you know, I realize, obviously, the geek world tends to be very male-centric and all that. But there needs to be more balance. And so I wanted to read Natalie's email in case... There are any other women listening, and I've heard some from several others, so I know there are some, just to let you know that you know, you're know you not alone, and uh, we're all in this together, male, female, whatever. doesn't matter what nationality you are or, or how old or how young. Um, this is, you know, computing is for the people, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and that's what, that's what this show is all about. It's just about helping people of any kind uh, learn Linux. So thank you very much, Natalie. Uh, Thanks again to everybody else who sent me emails and um, donations and all that good stuff. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And it's time to wrap it up for this week. Okay, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this little episode on email servers. It wasn't too scary, I don't think. I didn't want to go all into everything, you know, setting up post-fix. That could be an episode in and of itself. Um, but, you know, the way I've got my email set up, my local IMAP server, it was really very easy to do. And it's really just two packages, GetMail and Dovecot. I could use ProcMail, but I'm not doing that right now. I used to do that, but... Um, Installing GetMail and having it download all my email and then installing IMAP to allow me to access the email works great. And uh, it's very simple to do, and it, I access it remotely from the office and from other email clients in my house and everything, and it's a lot of fun. And so I encourage you to check it out. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for all the feedback and all the great forum participation. Uh, we are almost at 1,000 um, registered users in the forum, which is amazing. And uh, just keep it coming. We've got a lot of people joining in the last several months, and it's really cool to see. So thanks so much. Uh, next week is going to be episode 62, and I've still got several more episodes here to go on the server series, and then we'll get back to some other things. So um, hope you're enjoying this little series, but don't worry. It's not going to last forever. We're going to get to some other things as well. So uh, feel free to send me feedback to linuxreality at gmail.com. You can also attach an audio comment if you want, audio email um, thing, you know, uh, MP3 or AUG format would be great. You can also use the audio web-based service, links to that, and the uh, listener hotline are all on linuxreality.com. So take care, everyone. Have a great weekend, and I'll catch you all next time. This has been Episode 61 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.